0: So, um, if you have a Bible with you today, then you can find Luke 9, and specifically, 20 verse 23 to 26. If you haven't, don't worry, hopefully, MM's going to miraculously pop it up when we need it. You don't need it next, so don't worry about it. Okay, so um, we are starting the series on Jesus as the Centre, and we say that this is one of our core values, so it is vital to our church. We can't exist without this thing, okay, so it's a core value. And um, this week, was it this week? Yeah, it was this week. Um, A friend of mine visited my home, who I've known for some time, Um, and he was sort of... He's sort of on a journey at the moment where he's trying to work out what life is about. Um, and he said to me, you know, when I was at school, life sounds so simple because um, I thought that what I wanted was to gain independence, um, to get a house and a job, and um, that, that that would be a good thing to do. Um, but at the moment, he's been doing that probably for about 15 years. He he just said to me, um, although I've achieved that, so he has a house and he is independent, um, he said, it just feels like I'm living in an empty box. And those were his words. It feels like I'm living in an empty box. And we're in that culture, aren't we, where um, we're told that um, fulfillment can be found in certain things. So we need to get a house, we get a certain job, um, or we get a certain family, or a certain partner, or we get certain children, and that will lead us to this kind of sense of, yeah, life's good, I've done it, I've achieved it, and it's okay. But more often than not, like my friends, once we have it, we realise that actually, it doesn't quite, quite get there. It feels like we're in an empty box. So we can go down different routes. Sometimes we think, oh, maybe I got the wrong job or maybe I got the wrong partner. Maybe I should get a new one or um, maybe I just need a holiday and that will fill me with something that I seem to be missing. And it isn't hard for us as Christians living in that culture to drift that way. Um, And what I mean by that is um, we know, of course, if I was to ask you, how can fulfillment be found? A lot of you say, well, that fulfillment will be found in Jesus as your rock and your core and then you would have it. But actually, it isn't very hard for us to start looking at other things and thinking, I know that isn't the answer, but it would be really nice to have it. (laughs) It's easy, isn't it, to drift that way. And as we do, our prayers drift that way, don't they? They start to lead us into a very small world where we're at the centre and God is somewhere else. Jesus um, taught us, of course, that fulfilment is found and real purpose is in knowing him. Um, It comes from having him at our centre, not things or people or ourselves. When we become Christians, there's that part, isn't there, where we acknowledge that we made ourselves the centre. And we need to, we often describe it, don't we, as we get off the throne and Jesus gets onto the throne. Um, but often, he gets sidelined very quickly. So we're going to think today about what Jesus said it was to have him at the centre and they are really hard and challenging words. And when I was chatting with my friend about the empty box, he, uh, we were chatting generally about what I'd been reading, actually. And I said, Oh this week I'm reading about um, Jesus being the center. And he said, uh, well, I have sort of chatted with you and I've chatted with others, but what, what, what does that actually mean? And um, as I started to tell him about this passage, I was struck don't even come close. I'm not even hinting at it. I'm not even aiming at it. So let's um, read it together about the having Jesus at our centre. Let's look at what the Bible says. And the passage that I was looking at, and we're going to look at today, is found in Luke chapter 9, and it's verses 23 to 26. There's not many verses, and it should come up there. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, for me, will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. Okay. Now, previous to these words, um, Luke records how Jesus asked the disciples who they thought he was. And Peter, we know, gave that great answer, you are God's Messiah. But Mark um, informs us, that um, Jesus said to him, the father has revealed this to you. So you can imagine how Peter felt that day. He'd kind of got a gold star. He'd not only got a question right for once in his life, but also he was told that the father had revealed it. He's feeling pretty good about himself. But as we know, it isn't very long afterwards that Jesus rebukes him. He's got it very wrong. When Jesus tries to tell him about the Messiah being rejected and killed, Peter gets intensely cross with him and actually t- tells him that he's got it wrong. You must have it wrong, Jesus. And clearly, Peter, despite the miracles he'd seen, despite the teaching that he'd received, he had no idea. Who Jesus really was or what it meant to follow him. And so often it's easy, as I said earlier, to call ourselves Christians and to bear the name of Jesus and say that he's Lord of our lives. And he's the son of God. And say yes to all those doctrinal statements. And yet, like Jesus, we think we might have a better way to live. Than this. We want something that doesn't involve the cross. That jumps straight to the kingdom. No more crying and no more tears. I know that's what I want. We want it for our lives. And we want it straight away. And right there is where we've shoved Jesus from the center to the side. And put ourselves in the center. And Jesus sells it out mightily clear what it is to follow him, to be his disciple, to imitate him and to have him at the center. So what does he say about him being center? Firstly, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross. Remember the disciples so far, they've been following Jesus, they've been telling people about the kingdom, they've been healing people, they've been delivering people from demonic powers, they've been having this marvellous time and they're rejoicing, aren't they, that even the demons obey them. But as Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem, he begins to teach them something very different, the way of the cross that true following is about denying ourselves. And later, in Luke 15, which we'll get to, he says, anyone who does not carry his cross cannot be my disciple. To follow me, says Jesus, is a commitment to die. This is the true stamp of every Christian. And the death, as we know, can often be literal, can't it? Martyrdom does happen. But a life of self-denial led by him to sacrifice... um, Sorry, a life of self-denial led him to obedience to sacrifice his life for us. When Peter tried to rebuke him and told him, but Jesus told him very clearly, you don't have the mind of God, but the mind of the world. In 1 John 3.16, it tells us, this is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So Jesus Being central is also, secondly, living a life of love. And this level of love, as we've read, is defined by the cross itself. We're called to this love, cross centered lives of self denial. It is no longer my will, but God's will that we're interested in. We are no longer self centered. But Christ-centered. It is no longer all about me. But it is all about Jesus. And it's no longer my happiness. But his happiness. It's no longer my plan. But God's plan for my life. It's no longer what other people think about me. But what people think about Jesus. It's not my money. It's part of his great wealth. And they're not my possessions. They're part of his resources. And thirdly, we read that having Jesus at the center is also a daily act of surrender, a daily act of surrender. They're told, verse 23, take up their cross daily. Daily. And what does having Jesus at the center of us daily mean? Well, when someone wrongs me, Ephesians chapter 4 tells me, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. And when I have an opportunity to impress people, Philippians tells me to do nothing out of vain conceit, but rather in humility humility value others above myself. And when I start saying to God, I want things like this or like that, Matthew tells us what Jesus did. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Every small act of service Following obedience is a preparation for martyrdom. Every small act is a kind of martyrdom as we die to self and live for Christ. And we, after all, as we said in our baptism, are already dead. When we try to carry on our old lives, it's like adding treasure into a grave, digging up and chucking some treasure in. And when we try and live for achievements, it's like getting a gravestone and etching up what you did. And when we try and live for stuff, it's like digging up a corpse and putting some clothes on it and thinking it looks great. Daily, we have to die to self. I've got a couple of quotes which I liked. One was from Michael Jensen. He writes, Martyrdom is an external representation of the inner reality of the Christian life. And the second one is by Diller. He writes, The way we live our days is the way we live our lives. I love both of those, expressing what it is to have Jesus at the centre And finally, as we read in that passage, to follow Christ is to suffer. It is to suffer. When Jesus sent his disciples out in Matthew 10, he told them that he was sending them out like sheep among wolves. It paints this graphic picture, doesn't it? Imagine a sheep among some wolves. It's not going to fare too well, is it? It's going to be hunted, tormented, ripped, chased, killed. And he told them to be on their guard. But it wasn't against this, because we see elsewhere Jesus says they'll be handed over, they'll be flogged, they'll be persecuted, there'll be family divisions, there'll be death, that they'll be hated because of him. And why? Because he said, a student is not above a master. If we want to be like Jesus, then that is what it's like to be like Jesus. I loved this, I read, I don't know where I read it, but it said, we cannot go around the cross to get the crown. Cannot go around the cross to get the crown. And these are words I know we don't like to hear. This is a passage we don't like to read. We're going to sing a song and pause there. And uh, that might find, sound awfully depressing, but I'm going to come back with a bit of hope. So don't, don't just stop there. We're not stopping there. Let's stand and sing, and then we'll, we'll do the hope bit. <laughs> now when we look at what Jesus asks of us, we, like me, standing in front of my friend, know that I am so far away from it I can feel so desperate by my failures and I think at that point the devil likes to have a little dance because he has given us nothing but condemnation but that's not the end of the story is it the Christian life is not about condemnation So how can we keep Jesus at the center? We know that we fail all the time. We know that we don't have it in us. How can we do that? Well, firstly, obviously, we're following Jesus. And when Jesus chose to come and find us and sacrifice himself in this way, paying that ultimate price, he didn't come with all his power, did he? In Ephesians, we're told that he made himself empty. His choices and his actions and his power came from the Father and the presence of the Holy Spirit with him. And we see that in his actions, firstly, he prays, Not my will, but yours be done. And at his baptism, we saw how the Spirit rested on him and remained on him. And in the same way, when his disciples asked, how should we pray? Jesus told them to pray, your will be done as it is in heaven. In this, we begin confessing, don't we, that he is our father. Like Jesus, we want his will, not our own. We want his kingdom to come in all its beauty and its majesty and not our own that we want to put others first, turn the other cheek, forgive and give and spend our time on others and not ourselves. And secondly, remember, like Jesus, we need the Spirit. When Jesus sent his disciples in John 20, it says he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Without that, they could not go. In Luke 9, he gave them power and authority to do it. In Matthew 10, he told them, don't worry about what you're going to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. You will be given it. You won't be speaking. The Holy Spirit will be speaking. You see, how the Father speaks through us, he works through us, he heals through us, he breaks powers through us. But it is not us that are doing. It's not just a matter of sheer determination. If we try to do this life on our own, we will be like that guy we read of in the Acts that got beaten up by the demonic powers. We don't stand a chance. But the power doesn't mean that we're trouble-free, remember. It doesn't mean that. When Paul writes from a prison cell to the Philippians, he writes that through their prayers and the Holy Spirit, that this experience might be for his deliverance. Not from suffering, not from prison, but he expects and hopes with certainty that he will not be ashamed but he will have courage now if we go back to that luke passage verse 26 it says whoever is ashamed of me and my words that is what paul is more interested in he's not interested really in whether he's free from the prison what he's interested in is that he would not be ashamed and how is he going to do that Not by steely determination, but by prayer and the Holy Spirit. No matter what happens to him, he is secure in Christ. The goal of his life is to bring glory to Jesus. But he only achieves this through the Holy Spirit. And if we're to live like this, left selfishly, not selfish... We need what Jesus had, that power of the Holy Spirit. Now I was thinking of a third reason that we can achieve this. We do it through prayer, we do it through Holy Spirit. But the third one is that we keep our eyes on the cross. Because if we don't keep our eyes on the cross, actually the way of the cross will crush you absolutely crush you. And I was thinking about this because when Jesus talks of things, he talks about perfection, doesn't he? Like when you read Beatitudes of what we should be like, in the same way he speaks here of what we should be like. It's perfection. It's how he is, the way of the cross, that he's completely and utterly selfless. But we are not there. If we were, we wouldn't need the cross at all. He was willing to die. He was perfect. And why? Because we were not. Remember when Jesus said, my burden, give me your burdens and what I will give you is light, not a burden. So when we read this, we're like, oh, oh, I can't possibly do it. It's like being heaped loads of stuff. But Jesus says, no, my is not a burden, but it is light. And why is it light? Because it's not about doing it, um, having to do it. You must do it. This is what I'm saying. That's, I'm going to heap a bit more on you, but actually I have done it for you. And that's what frees us to walk the way of the cross, isn't it? It isn't steely determination of, here I am, God, take my life. He wants that, but we cannot do it. The only one that can do it is God, and that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And with that, we start to do it. And when we get it wrong, it's okay. It's all right. If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't be doing anything at all. Remember that. I think that's really important. When we're trying to live Jesus-centered, we pray, we believe the, we, we receive the Holy Spirit daily, and that we keep our eye on the cross. Jesus is the perfection one, not me. He is the one working through me, not me. It's his power, not my power. Otherwise, <laughs> that's us. So why should I do this? It seems so hard. Well, we find that again in Luke 9, verse 24 and 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their lives, for me, will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Our commitment to Jesus includes blessings, yes, but also sufferings. But are they worth it? If you think about um, the side effects of certain things, for example, hot sauce, okay, this can cause diarrhea, blisters on the skin, and eventually long-term kidney failure. Now, is it worth it to have a really great tasting chili? probably not but the side effects to heart disease medicine can be nightmares difficulty breathing spinning sensation hair loss and irritability is it worth it of course it's worth it you're going to die jesus same thing same thing here words jesus words concerning following him are basically even if we lose we win. Without Jesus, we lose. Because to be ourselves truly is to have God at the center. When we make Jesus our center, we gain life. Without him, we are dead. Remember that? Like my friend said, gaining what he thought was the goal, it left him like an empty box. Without Jesus, we are empty. We can have life, we can have blessing, but without Jesus, it is nothing. The goal of life is to be with God. And when we realise this, it's easier to let go of the rest. No longer do we find fulfilment in things like the rich young ruler who couldn't give it up. Or we find fulfilment in family or a comfortable life we have to find it in Jesus and when we make secondly when we make Jesus our center we find joy jesus endured the cross for the joy before him the joy of the father having his children back with him jesus said in john 13:17 now you know these things you will be blessed if you do them. That is the joy. You will find joy if you do them. The blessings we seek when we're, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, can only be found in giving of ourself, gaining him and not things. The way of the cross, quite simply, is the way of blessing, because we were made to love God and others. And one day, as we know, we looked at it a a couple of weeks ago, there will be no more pain and no more suffering. But that is not our goal. Our goal is to know Christ. And as Paul says, and the fellowship of his suffering. Because, as we heard earlier, you cannot get the crown without going through the cross And I just want to read very briefly. This is a great book, The Ordinary Hero, Tim Chester. I recommend that. Excellent. Um, I'm just going to read a testimony, if I can. Aha, I see the problem. 77. 77. Here are the words of Rashid, a Pakistani who, when he became a Christian, was rejected by his family and whose wife was forced to leave him, taking his daughter. He says, some might conclude that my life is pitiful. After all, every evening after I finish my shift, I go home to an empty flat, one not filled with gleeful shouts of a six-year-old child. When I go to bed at night, there is no one beside me to say I love you. I expect never to hear from my parents on my birthday, or on any other day for that matter. The only noise in my home comes from the television set, and that I do not watch very often. But to pity me would to be to miss the joy I have experienced. I believe things are better now than they were before I was a Christian. My house might be quiet, but I am not lonely. My family may have forsaken me, but I am not abandoned. I have Christ, and that is enough. Indeed, it is more than enough. In my eyes, I have been blessed beyond measure, far greater than I deserve, and more than I could have hoped. May we know that too.